You're listening to the Ren Sports Show, the podcast that believes youth sports is more than just about wins and losses or X's and O's. Youth sports should be about providing young athletes with what they need to help them develop holistically. And the most important aspect of athlete development is coach development. As such, this podcast aims to discuss ideas, theories, and concepts that will challenge youth coaches to put their athletes' needs at the forefront of their coaching. On our last show, we discussed how the brain works when it comes to learning. We introduced two of our closest friends, Sarah and Carla, and described the roles that they have in relation to the learning process. In case you missed it, here's a recap. Our brains primarily have two systems working at all times. System one is our subconscious mind and mainly uses our long-term memory to solve tasks and automate daily processes. System one is also responsible for picking up new information from the environment around us. It then decides if this information is worth being passed on to System 2 or not. I refer to System 1, our subconscious mind, as Sarah. Carla, on the other hand, is System 2. She is our conscious mind. She has the ability to think deeply, solve complex problems, analyze situations, and so much more. Unfortunately, Carla is unable to focus on more than just a couple of things at any given time. She is slow, and hence by default, we tend to rely on Sarah. When Sarah is unable to solve a problem, or has difficulty interpreting information, she passes this on to Carla, who is then able to apply the necessary effort and time to figure things out. Learning happens primarily through Carla, our conscious and working memory. It is only when learning has been completed and become automated that it is passed back to Sarah and in our long-term memories. Therefore, if we want to teach, we need to address System 2 and not System 1. One of the most common methods of teaching is communicating. Communication is not just about sending information, it is also about ensuring that the information has been received by the other party. In coaching, when we give feedback, regardless of whether the information is relevant or not, it needs to be given to the right person in order for it to be acted upon. If we provide feedback to the wrong person, then the feedback may as well not have been provided at all. Essentially, what we're saying is we want to address Carla and not Sarah. If we talk to Sarah, she will more than likely just mark the feedback as irrelevant and it will never actually get passed on to Carla. Therefore, it is important to communicate with the right person. There are two ways that I use to engage Carla instead of Sarah when coaching. The first one is by emphasizing and repeating a couple of points over and over again until Sarah recognizes them as relevant and passes that information to Carla. So at the start of practice, I inform our athletes what the main objective of the session is. Then before every drill, I highlight how it helps us achieve our objective. By having one clear objective throughout the practice and emphasizing it repeatedly, our players are more likely to be attentive and pick this up. This was the premise of our last conversation. You can look back at it by clicking on the link in the show notes. The second way that I get Carla's attention is by using a self-guided discovery process. This is the topic for today. To help me illustrate some points, I'm going to take a trip down memory lane. One of the key things that I found really annoying when I was younger was how my dad could never just give me a straight answer. I could ask him a relatively simple question, and his response would be something along the lines of, what do you think? It genuinely annoyed me, until I got older and I began to understand more. I don't know if he was being deliberate or not. I like to think that he was. Whenever I asked him any questions, rather than give me an answer, he would always challenge me to think about it. He would direct me to the relevant resources, but always let me come up with an answer on my own first. It didn't matter if my answer was right or wrong. The point was that I had to come up with that answer myself. 
This led to debates and discussions at the dinner table around grammar, spelling, history, geography, etc. I didn't have, I didn't want to be wrong. So before dinner, I would pick up a dictionary or a book. Remember, these were pre-internet times. I would come up with synonyms, antonyms, and research for as much information as I could about the topic at hand before sitting down to discuss this with the family. As it turns out, research is showing that this is a critical part of the learning process. In a 2017 paper titled Learning from Errors, author Janet Metcalf highlighted that errorful learning followed by corrective feedback was more beneficial to learning. One of the examples provided was the stark differences between the education methods of Japan versus the United States. At the time, Japan was ranked in terms of efficiency as top two, whereas the United States was number 14 in the world. In US classrooms, set processes were explicitly taught first. These processes are then rehearsed and emphasized with praise being provided for the correct answers. Contrast that to the learning style that was happening in Japan. Teachers started the class by first getting students to solve problems on their own, a process that led to more mistakes, as the students simply didn't have the means to come up with the solutions. What followed then was detailed discussion of the mistakes, why they were made, and the logic behind them. In addition, the teacher guided the students to the correct answers with discussions following on why this was the correct process or answer. The time spent looking for solutions before being provided with them is considered a key part of the learning process in Japan. What jumps out to me immediately is that in the example of the US, Sarah was the person that was being spoken to initially, whereas in Japan, Carla was being engaged almost straight away. In a previous article, Robert Bjork says that engaging with mistakes is difficult, but the difficulty is desirable for learning. That's because when things are difficult, we need to consciously address them, and Carla is the one who is present. Janet Metcalf goes on to highlight that making training more challenging by allowing mistakes and then providing feedback, discussion, and correction leads to better retention, retrieval, and transfer of skills in situations. So, as it turns out, my dad making me go look for information before providing me with answers was actually enhancing my learning capabilities. Don't just take my word for it. Let's think back to education. Regardless if you were in secondary school or college, think back to the time you were sitting in class. You were probably sitting in a classroom with 20 or 30 other students, and your teacher was at the front. She was probably rattling about who knows what, saying you know what is important. Your mind was on almost anything else except what the teacher was talking about. You were probably daydreaming about what was going to happen after class, or thinking about the girl in front of you, or the boy that you had a crush on, or whatever else you were thinking of. As you sat there listening, Sarah was in the driver's seat. It wasn't until the teacher called your name, or announced, this is going to be on the test this weekend, before Sarah decided to get Carla's attention. This is why homework, group projects, class assignments, and presentations are so important. When you sat down at home to do your homework, you were present, consciously thinking about how to solve that problem. That was Carla. When you were planning your small group revision and asked each other questions, that was Carla. When you were asked to present a project or have a group assignment, that was Carla. Remember now, Carla is system two. She is our conscious memory. Each of these things that we did got Carla's attention and she has to be involved in analyzing and coming up with solutions. As a result, we retain more information. You can probably remember some of the experiences and facts that you came up with from the group projects that you did years ago. This is one of the reasons why you never forget how to ride a bike. 
Okay, so how can we use what we've just discussed to help us coach better? In addition to emphasizing objectives, I also employ the use of questions to help get Carla's attention before addressing the group or providing instruction and feedback. Simple questions such as, Ben, what is the main objective in this drill? Peter, what score are we going to? James, how do we reset? Asking questions is very uncomfortable, not only for you as a coach, but also for the players. However, it is important that you do not answer for them or change the question once you've asked. Players need to come up with a response. When you first start doing this, you could be standing around for a few minutes before somebody answers. That's okay, especially if it's something new for your players, it will take time before they adjust to it. There is a balance needed so you don't spend the entire practice standing around, so it's important to plan these things ahead of time. I'll provide a link in the show notes to an article that will provide some simple, practical tips to help you get started with asking questions in practice. Unfortunately, I've been around too many situations where an assistant coach or a parent gets so uncomfortable with the silence that they feel the need to jump in and provide a solution or an answer to the question. Avoid that if you can. There will also be players who don't like standing around, and these players might be focused, so they might be eager to answer all of your questions. Again, it's important that the player who's called upon have the first chance to answer. Personally, it doesn't matter if the players get the answer right or wrong. It doesn't bother me. It's just feedback for me for later on when I need to spend more time with them or help them learn something else. After a couple of weeks of doing this, players tend to get more focused on star produce. Additionally, I'll do this during practice timeouts. Rather than coach giving them all the information, I will let the players have these conversations. As a coach, you can float around and listen to what's being said. A lot of the times, they will say the same things that you want them to. However, if it's them having the conversations, it is Carla consciously figuring things out and creating connections within the brain to automate these decisions. This is a good thing. Don't stop it. I've seen coaches just jump in and give all the information. I've even heard coaches say that players don't know the stuff and we need to help them. I've seen it and I've heard it. Matter of fact, I've been in that position. I used to be that coach. I used to think that I had all the answers. My players were dumb and I wanted to give them all the solutions. It has taken me a while to help me transition into the coach that I am now. If we want leaders and communicators on our team, then we have to give our players the opportunities to be able to lead and communicate. There will be some players who will say the wrong things and lead the wrong way. And that's okay. That's all part of the learning process. Personally, what I'm watching for now is whether Carla or Sarah is in the driving seat during this process. If Carla is in the driving seat, then I'm okay with more mistakes. The question I ask myself is, is it more important that I say all the right things and give all the right cues, regardless if it's the right person or not? Or is it more important that I provide the right person with the necessary information for them to do what's expected? If that's the case, then I need to speak with Carla more often. However, Carla takes a lot of energy and time to process, analyze, and solve problems. It's mentally challenging and exhausting, despite it being still an essential part of the learning process. With that in mind, I don't want my entire practice to be filled with teaching moments and drills because of how exhausting it could be for Carla. There are times and days when I don't have any teaching drills planned. This is something that's also worth considering for you as a coach. How exhausting are your practices mentally and physically? I would like to share with you one other story before we finish up. There was, young, there was once a young man who loved observing nature. He would hide in the gardens and woods, watching and admiring the beauty of it. One day he found a cocoon of a butterfly. He observed and watched it over a couple of days 
curious to see what would happen. Eventually, after a couple of days, a small opening appeared in the cocoon. Over the next few hours, the butterfly struggled as it tried to force its body through that small opening. Then it stopped. No progress was being made, and the butterfly looked like it was stuck. The young man decided to help the butterfly. He took out his pocket knife and carefully snipped off the small parts of the cocoon, which allowed the butterfly to come out easily. This butterfly did not look like other butterflies. This one had a swollen body and shriveled wings. The young man decided not to judge and rather just stood there observing. He sat down and waited for the wings to grow. He waited for the beauty of the butterfly to emerge. He waited for the butterfly to spread its wings and fly. Although none of that happened, the butterfly shriveled, just crawled away. And this was how the butterfly would end up spending the rest of its life. See, the moral of the story is the young man wanted to help. He had good intentions. What he didn't understand was the process the butterfly needed to go through to emerge in its full beauty and potential. The butterfly needed to struggle through that small opening which would allow its body to, to, to shrivel down and come out slim. The butterfly struggling through the small opening would allow its, its wings to grow strong and then it would be able to spread them and fly away. See, this is the same thing we, we experience as coaches. We may have good intentions and want to help our athletes. However, the struggle that they go through is what is needed to allow them to acquire the skills they need to develop into what they will become. When we take away this opportunity for them to learn and grow, we do them a disservice and we actually end up limiting their potential despite our best intentions. Thank you for joining me this week on the Brand Sports Show. I hope you found a couple of key takeaways from this episode. Our next show is going to look at the practice planning process, specifically in terms of scheduling teaching segments within the practice and how we adjust to give the players mental breaks as needed. That's it for this week. I've been your host, Nabil Murad, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this with your followers, friends, and family.